You're listening to New Life Washington Podcast. We pray this sermon encourages you and builds up your faith. It's our goal to help you live so that no one misses the grace of God. Enjoy the sermon. So as you know, we've been in a series lately. It's called The Story. And this is a different kind of series than we've ever done before because what we've been doing is we've been taking you through the story of the Bible. And if we told you about every single part of the Bible and every story in it, we would be here for years and years telling you the whole story of the Bible. So what we've done is we've condensed it and we're talking about some of the key moments in the Bible. We're kind of looking at it from a telescope view rather than a microscope view. And so we're giving you the big picture ideas of all of the Bible. And the hope in this is that you'll be able to see some themes throughout Scripture, that you'll be able to see God at work in different ways, but in some of the same ways over and over again. And I think as we look at Scripture, we find that God is the same, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he is gracious and he's kind and he's good to us and he's loving. And man, he's all of these things throughout Scripture again and again and again. And we see that today as we continue the story, but I wanted to tell you where we've been. In the first week, we began by talking about creation and talking about Adam and Eve and talking about how in the moment that God gave them the very first rule, that they broke that rule and that their relationship with God was fractured at that point. No longer were they able to be connected to God, but God made a plan in that moment because he wanted to be connected with his people. So he made a plan for a reunification. He made a plan so that they could be reunited and he's working that plan out as part of his story that we've been getting into. As we fast forward, last week we talked about Abraham and how Abraham, he wanted Abraham to be part of that plan. And he says, Abraham, I'm going to use you and through your lineage, I'm going to bring a blessing on the whole earth. That blessing is Jesus and it points to that. But as we finished last week, we talked about Joseph and how Joseph ended up in Egypt and all of God's people, the Israelites, ended up in Egypt at that time. And it was a glorious moment for them at the time, right? The Israelites were taken very seriously because of Joseph. But listen, 400 years as we talk today has passed since that moment. And in those 400 years, somebody's come to power in Egypt named Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is a very, very evil, evil man. And as Pharaoh is an evil man, he's taking a lot of his evil out on the Israelites. And so he's made them slaves. And so God's people, who are supposed to be blessed, uh, as they've told Abraham, are slaves. They're slaves and they're being oppressed. And man, life is difficult for them. And they are working them extra hard. And there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears for the Israelites in this moment in Scripture. And so what happens is the Israelites begin to cry out to God. And as they cry out to God, often what God does is he calls somebody to be part of his story and to execute his plan. So he partners with somebody in order to execute his plan. And that person that he begins to call is Moses. And Moses throughout scripture is a a wonderful character uh, that God uses in some mighty, mighty ways. But Let's talk about him for just a little bit before we really dive into the scriptures because he is so, so interesting because at the beginning of his story, we see that Pharaoh, who's the evil man that we talked about, he executes this plan. And this plan is to get rid of every Israelite baby boy. So any baby boys, any young boys at that time, uh, Pharaoh is so evil that he says, hey, we're going to execute all of these baby boys. So Moses at the time, being a baby boy, his mom puts him in a basket, throws him, puts him in the river, 
and, uh, and prays a prayer saying, God, please take care of him. Please guide him to a place where somebody can take care of him. And at the other end of the river, uh, it says that Pharaoh's daughter picks up Moses, begins to raise Moses as her own, and allows Pharaoh's mom to be part of his story, to invest in him spiritually, and to kind of bring him up also. So it's this very beautiful thing where God takes care of Moses from the very, very beginning. But at that moment, as Moses grows older, he has such a heart for the Israelite people. And there's this moment early on in Moses' life where he's watching an Egyptian um, just be very ugly and mean to an Israelite slave. He's abusing him. And, uh, and it says that Moses became so angry that he killed, he killed the Egyptian. He killed him and he hid his body. And, uh, and Moses felt so bad about this that he ran off. So I want to stop here and I want to talk about this because we see throughout Scripture that there's different people who God is using to do some mighty things through. We see Abraham, we see, um, you know, Adam and Eve, we see Moses, we see um, Noah, we see all of these people along the way who have some very significant parts in Scripture. And we wonder, man, why would God, why, why, why does God choose certain people or why? And, and I want you to see here that God chooses Moses to be his instrument, a guy who is a murderer, a guy who is a murderer. And so it'd be very easy, and we see Moses being very reluctant when God calls him, and it's very easy for all of us, right? We're in this room, and we're all imperfect, and we all have mistakes that we've made and things that we've done and things that we've said, and, uh, and we're looking at it sometimes as God is calling us to do something like, man, not me, God, not me. And we see Moses in this very same position as God begins to call him. God, I haven't been faithful. I murdered somebody. I'm a murderer. God, I don't have the skills. I don't have the talents that I need in order to do what you've called me to do. All of these excuses, and God yet chooses to use an unfaithful murderer of a man in Moses to accomplish his will. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that God does for Moses, and what a beautiful thing that he does for you and I. So God calls Moses to be an instrument used to set his people free. He's tired of the oppression. He's tired of the Israelites being slaves. So he says, Moses, in fact, this happens in a desert. Moses is out on a walk in the desert as time has gone by. And suddenly Moses sees this burning bush. And he's like, what in the world is happening? This bush is burning, but it's not disintegrating. So he walks up to it and God says, you're on holy ground. Pay attention to what I'm about to say. And God tells him that he wants to use him to be the instrument to set the people free. And Moses begins to argue, but let's pick up here in Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. And I want us to see what God tells Moses about his character, about who he is. So let's pick up here in verse 12. It says this, it says, And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. And this is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So God begins to reveal a little bit about who he is. He reveals his name to him, and he says, What is his name? I am. I am who I am. Why does he choose that? Out of anything that he could choose, I am who I am. And I think the context of this and what he's trying to get at with God's people here is that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. That God doesn't change, that he's consistent, that he's the same God always. We look at people constantly and there's ups and downs. They're faithful and they're unfaithful. They're good and they're bad. They're happy and they're sad. And there's such inconsistency in us, right? Because we are people and we are inconsistent. But we can't view God in the same lens as we view people. God is consistent. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He doesn't change. He's the God who is I am. He's the same. And we could be so, so, um, how would I put it? You can be at a place where you can trust that he's going to be the same. You can trust it because he's been faithful and he's been the same generation to generation. Throughout every story in scripture, he has the same characteristics. He has the same heart towards his people and he has the same heart towards his people today. So we find ourselves in this position where God is showing grace to Moses. He's showing grace and promising redemption to his people here by setting them free They're unfaithful and they've been unfaithful, but he's looking out for them and he wants to set them free. So there's so much good here that God wants to do, even though the Israelites aren't keeping their end of the bargain even now. But as we continue this story, I just think it's so important to understand that God's character is so constant. He relates the same way towards us again and again and again throughout Scripture. But he calls Moses to go and to speak to Pharaoh And once again, Moses is terrified. He's terrified about this, and he comes up with excuses like, I can't speak well. Are you sure I'm the right guy for this, God? There's better people for this job than I. Anybody ever feel that way when God asks you to do something? God, there's somebody that's way more talented than me. Somebody that can, it's way more, you know, I'm shy, and, you know, there's there's somebody that's not shy that you can use to do this, God, so can you please choose them? Like, all these excuses, right? And Moses, in this moment, is that guy. But at the end of the day, he shows up, and he walks in front of Pharaoh, who's the meanest ruler of them all at this point, and he says, Pharaoh, God has called me here to tell you to set his people free. And what does Pharaoh do? Pharaoh does the evil laugh that all villains do in movies, right? He does that laugh. And he looks at him and he says, no way are we ever going to set the Israelites free. They're going to be our slaves forever. And so Moses leaves there and he's just like you and I. He's discouraged. He's like, okay, God, you told me to come and do this, but it didn't really work like you told me it was going to work, okay? You told me he was going to set people free. And, and don't we imagine that in our mind anytime God asks us to do something? It's like, it's going to be easy overnight. It's going to be a change. That's not what happens here. There's a lot of time that goes by from the moment God calls Moses, the moment Moses walks in there, to the moment the Israelites are set free. And there's a process that begins to happen. And so what God begins to do as Pharaoh refuses 
Moses goes to him and asks nicely, let the people go. Pharaoh says no, and there's this repetitive thing that begins to happen. But each time, God begins to bring a plague, and one of these plagues, as he begins, right, as he turns the river there into a red river, blood, right? And, uh, and so people aren't able to drink the water from the river, and it becomes a huge problem to them. He's saying, okay, I can turn it back if you let my people go. I'm not willing to do that. And one by one, he creates plague after plague. It says here that there was blood, and then there was frogs, right? So all the ladies were jumping on chairs, scared of all these frogs that just got released. Can you imagine that? Just frogs everywhere. That's what happened. It's kind of, it's kind of scary, right? But it gets worse and worse as time goes on. God continues to bring different things that are causing livestock problems, that are causing uh, problems with their ability to eat. So there's gnats, there's flies, there's, a, there's one with livestock getting diseased, there's a skin disease, there's hail, there's locusts, and then there's darkness. And there's one more that we'll talk about here in a little bit, but I just think it's interesting if we were to really just, if we were able to really dig deep into this today and look at each one of these and what it meant, I think what you would find is that God here is showing um, his greatness compared to the gods that Egypt worshipped at that point. And, and in that day, there were so many false idols that were worshipped. And one of those false idols, I'll talk about the last one that I mentioned here, uh, was, was Ra, and Ra was the sun god. So they believed, right, they worshiped Ra and that the sun was going to come up and give them what they needed to grow crops. So they worshiped Ra for that reason. So what God was doing when he brought the plague of darkness is he's saying, hey, where's Ra now? Hey, where's Ra? Is he going to, where's the sun? And he's showing his power, that he's more powerful than all of these idols that they worship. That he one-ups them every single time. That they have no power. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he's the God who's all-powerful. And he's the God of all creation who says what to do. And even in all these plagues and all these things, Pharaoh is still so stubborn. He's still unwilling to move. Anybody stubborn like that? Yeah, just be honest, right? There's some people that are pretty stubborn. Pharaoh one-ups you, okay? He's more stubborn than anybody in all of human history because there's nine plagues so far, and he says, no, I will not let the people go. So God has to pull out the big guns. And if you remember in the beginning of the story, I talked about how Pharaoh made a decision to kill all of the Hebrew boys, all the young Hebrew boys, to, kill, to have them killed. Remember that? Well, what God does in response now to what Pharaoh did back then is he brings a plague that's going to cause the death of all the Egyptian sons, the firstborn sons. And so this is a very serious plague, but I want you to remember God has done all of these plagues to try to get him to relent, to try to get him to stop. He's tried all of these different things, and finally he comes to this place where he says, okay, I'm going to have to do this. I'm going to have to do this. And he brings a plague that's going to kill all of the Egyptian boys. But before he does that, he gives the Israelites some instructions. He says, hey, I don't want this plague to affect you Israelites, my people. So what we're going to do is I'm going to have you, um, and he gives very basic, very step-by-step instructions, that he's going to have them find a lamb that is spotless, 
and that every household is going to sacrifice this lamb and eat it and eat their unleavened bread and have a meal together, the Passover meal. And on top of that, I want you to take the blood of that lamb and I want you to put it on the doorposts of your house and I want you to put it down. And so what's going to happen is the angel of death is going to fly over all these houses, but he's going to pass over all the houses that have the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And so when that day comes, there's great tragedy that happens in Egypt because there's a lot of firstborn boys who have died as the angel of death passes over. But all those who had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, they were safe. They were safe and they were thankful for God taking care of them and passing over them. As we've talked about in this series that all of these things that we're talking about, they always point to Jesus. They point to him. And this story right here in the Passover, it points to Jesus. Because you remember in the New Testament, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And when you invite Jesus into your life, when you make him your Lord and your Savior, there's something that happens where God covers you, in a sense, with his blood. And he passes over you. When we deserve judgment, he passes over you and you're not judged the way that you should be. When it's time for you to pay for your sins, he passes over you because you're covered in the blood of the lamb of Jesus, the ultimate lamb. And so there's a Passover moment that happens for us because of what Jesus did, what he accomplished. And we should be so, so grateful, so grateful. Just like those people that day were so grateful for the Passover lamb, we should be so grateful for Jesus because we don't deserve, we don't deserve to have the life that we have. We don't deserve to have salvation. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve any of it, but because of what Jesus did, he passes over us and he gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve over and over and over again. And we see here that God rescues his people. He rescues them. They don't deserve it, but he rescues them. But at this point, Pharaoh, his eyes are finally open. His firstborn son is, has died. And he finally says, fine, let their people go. Let them go. And at this moment, the Israelites, they take off and they go to find the destination that God is going to call them to and they take off together. But suddenly, once again, Pharaoh, the most stubborn man ever, he changes his mind and he says, I want you to go after those people. I want you to go after the Israelites. And I think he just began to think about, man, who's going to uh, take care of the livestock and who's going to do this and who's going to do that? We need all these slaves to be able to do the work around here. And he realized that he really needed them, so he sends 600 of his men out to capture them and to bring them back. And so like, there's this scary moment that happens where suddenly the Israelites, they're on their journey thinking, man, we're free, he's let us go. And suddenly they look behind them and they see 600 of the fiercest, most, most scariest Egyptian army men coming after them. And they're at a place where they're, at the Red Sea at that time, and it seems like there's no way out. We're captured here. They're bringing us back. We're slaves again. This is scary. But as they stand in front of the Red Sea, it says that Moses, he raises his staff, and suddenly the Red Sea parts. What a miracle. 
What a miracle. Something that they never thought was possible began to happen in that moment. And they walked across the Red Sea that day, unhurt. They walked across the Red Sea, unscathed. And suddenly, as the Egyptians arrive, they jump into the Red Sea also. But the water comes crashing down on them. And the the, uh, Israelites are able to get away that day. They're able to get away that day and they're able to continue the journey that God has them on. And you would think at this moment, God had done so much for the Israelites. He'd taken them out of slavery, this hard life that they were living. And so they begin their journey to Mount Sinai and they're already complaining and they're already wishing that they could go back into slavery. And so there's all these things, but as they arrive, God decides, hey, um, I rescued you and I provided a way for you and now you're my people and I want to make a covenant with you. And this covenant is this relationship agreement. Like, hey, I want to be in relationship with you and so we're going to make this agreement. So let's pick up here in Exodus chapter 19. It says this, it says, Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him, from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So he's telling them here, Israelites, I want to start a covenant with you. I want you to be my people, and I'm going to give you the Ten Commandments. This is where he gives the Ten Commandments, Ten Rules that he wants them to follow. And you would think, based on everything they've been through, based on God's faithfulness, based on the miracle that they saw of the Red Sea being parted, and all these plagues, that there's like a high level of trust here. God, we trust you. God, we'll do whatever you say. Ten rules, no big deal. We got it, God. And so Moses is on the uh, mountain. He comes down with the Ten Commandments. He spends some time with God up there. And guess what happens? Just like it happened in the Garden of Eden, where Eve and Adam, they don't trust God and they go their own way. That in the time that Moses is up on the mountain, they come down and they're already worshiping a golden calf. Already. They had just started the covenant. The covenant had just begun. And they're already worshiping a golden calf. And the first two commandments of the Ten Commandments are this. God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and you shall have no other gods before me. Broken, right? The second one. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Broken, right? So here they are, given the commandments, and just a moment later, broken covenant. They're unfaithful. And it's just like you and I, right? It's just like you and I in these moments And all that it points to is our need for a savior. Our need for a savior because we are unfaithful. The Israelites have been unfaithful. The Israelites have sinned. We sin. And we are in need of a savior to cover our sins. Because we're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to be perfect. 
and they find themselves here in a position where they're in need of a savior once again. And it says here that God gets so, so mad that he's thinking about destroying them. But Moses decides to have a conversation with him. And Moses begins to talk to him in verse 20, uh, in verse 32. And it says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. And so Moses went back to the Lord and he says, oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now please forgive their sin. If not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. And as he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, let's stop right here. So Moses goes up. He tries to negotiate with God. And you know what God does? He does what he always does throughout scripture. Remember, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He extends grace to the Israelites. He extends mercy to them in that moment. He shows his his said, remember the word, his compassionate, faithful love. And he says, guys, you guys have been unfaithful, but I will continue to be faithful and I will continue to love you and I will continue to execute my plan to rescue you through Jesus down the road. And so, so Jesus, uh, so God in this moment, he decides to be faithful, to be compassionate, to show his character to the Israelites. And so we come to this place in Exodus chapter 34 where God, where Moses begins to proclaim about God. And this is what he says about him. He says, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Aren't you so glad that you've got a compassionate and gracious God? Aren't you so thankful? He says, a God who's slow to anger, who's abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That's who he is. He's I am, the same yesterday, today, and forever. But, but listen to this part, because I think this is really important, because we see his gracious side here. But then it says here that he does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. You say, Jesse, which one is he? Is he just or is he gracious? Is he just or is he gracious? And he is both. He's both. But let me tell you who he has decided to give his justice to. He's decided to give his justice. He's decided to give the punishment to his son on our behalf. And so this part here that talks about the punishment, this part here that talks about what we deserve, we don't ever get that if we have Jesus in our lives. And we should be so thankful because once again, it points to the Passover, that because Jesus is in our lives, that we are passed over, that Jesus absorbs all of the punishment that we deserved on the cross, and he rises again so that we could have life. And so friends, we don't get what we deserve. We don't get what we deserve because Jesus took what we deserve for us. And so every single one of us, as I said before, should be so grateful for Jesus. Grateful for the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world that it points to in this story. And as God continues, he continues to be faithful to the Israelites. And we see them finally through Joshua finding the promised land. And we'll pick up next week. 
but the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus. Be grateful for him. Thanks for listening. For more information about New Life Washington, check out our website at newlifeonline.org. God bless.